welcome to our very special spoiler special episode for Line of Duty. Uh, we've all been glued to our screens for the past seven Sundays as Jeb Mercurio's sixth season of the hit BBC series unfolded. It has, I think you'll agree, been quite a ride. From episode one, we spent the better part of an hour wondering what a chiz was, to that mad shootout with the prison transports, the James Nesbitt red herring, and that final, possibly underwhelming, reveal of the fourth man. Not to mention the fact that we've all now developed a weird Pavlovian response to the sight of black Range Rovers. Series 6 ended on Sunday, obviously, and with it, it's possible the series as a whole. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there because in true AC12 fashion, we are now going to sit down in a little glass-walled room, turn on a recorder, and thrash this thing out, fella. Uh, I'm James Dyer, your host for the next hour or so, proving that corruption can indeed be easily mistaken for incompetence. And since this is a joint Empire slash Pilot TV spoiler special, it should come as no surprise that joining me under their very own Reg 15 notices are my regular Pilot TV co-hosts. Our very own H, Mr Boyd Hilton, and Terry White, who dials in from her witness protection cottage somewhere in the northwest of England. <laughs> so, so let's switch on the DIR and get straight into this. So, guys, series six of this show had, I think it's safe to say, been shaping up to be an absolute barnstormer and possibly, possibly even the best series of Line of Duty to date, episodes five and six in particular being an absolute high point. And then the finale came, and I think it's safe to say it left a lot of people a little bit deflated. So what did you two think of episode seven? Right, I'm going to go first because I know what Boyd is going to say. Well, <laughs> I'm going to guess it to what Boyd is going to say. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave now. So... I thought, and just let me preface this by saying, I thought the first two episodes, which I actually reviewed for Empire, I thought they were really great, really solid, but but lacked a little bit of something. I think I gave it four stars. I know I gave it four stars. And then, to your point, James, the season picked up at such a velocity. I'd say episode four is really where it became just unlike anything we'd ever seen, even in Line of Duty. That's, that run of three episodes... Four, five, and six was jaw-dropping, absolutely jaw-dropping. And when it, by the time it got to seven, I mean, I think I said on the pilot podcast last week, I'd never been that excited for an episode of TV, ever, 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 ever. It was remarkable, and the nation was there with me. And the ending as it happened, and Buckles being H, um, hopefully that's not a massive spoiler if you're listening to this, but I mean, it's so. a spoiler special. Welcome so. to the spoiler special. <laughs> um, but Buckles being H... And a few people said this on Twitter and, and I was, I remember turning to my boyfriend eight minutes from the end saying, that cannot be it. <laughs> and when they got into that fucking lift, don't talk to me about that lift shot either. <laughs> when they got into that lift, I was like, no, this can't be it. I haven't invested this much of my life for this underwhelming end. And then I sat and I thought about it and I was texting you guys and I said, is the point that you know, actually, it's the banality of corruption. Institutional corruption isn't one big criminal mastermind. It's actually a combination of people who are, um, some are morally bad, some are driven by money, some are driven by greed, some are driven by um, lots and lots and lots of different things. But it's usually multiple people colluding together, a lot of whom are quite average human beings. And I understand that point. I think that's a really nuanced clever point that Jed is making but and Sophie Petzl put this perfectly on Twitter 
that isn't the world that Line of Duty lived mm. in. Line of Duty was an inc- a world built on incredulity. I can't say that word. Incredulity. 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 <laughs> it's built on a world of like, what the fuck just happened? That doesn't make sense. What? It's it's full of like um, massive shocks, massive surprises, ridiculous cliffhangers, things that really, if you start to poke at them too much, would probably have massive holes in them. But it's high drama, high stakes drama. And so therefore, for it to end in that way, I think it felt like a completely different universe. So I appreciated intellectually the point that was being made, but dramatically, I felt hugely let down. And I'll tell you what I hate while I'm here. I really hate the people on Twitter who are giving it, oh, well, if you're disappointed by the line of duty final, you just don't get it. You just don't get the great cinematic TV point that was being made. People can get the point and be disappointed that it felt dramatically underwhelming, is what I would say. I'm going to shock you here. I broadly agree with you, yeah. I think, I mean, what? I've, I, I, well, absolutely. I think, but what I'd say is I've watched it three times now, and the, the first two times were before it went out live. And I think I had the experience of watching it. The first time I watched it, um, I think um, James and I uh, texted each other um, <laughs> and I had a few other people. I, I, I asked a few other people who'd seen it in the TV review. This was in advance. Was it? it was world. a couple of weeks before it, it aired. This is in advance. Yeah. So mm. this is in advance. And I knew as soon as I, my honest reaction was as soon as I watched it, I knew it was going to be considered a letdown and an anticlimax <clears> by most people watching it. I was absolutely clear on that. And sure enough, when I talked to James on, on WhatsApp and I talked to other people about it who'd seen it, everyone, uh, no one demurred from the, from the point that it was going to be generally considered a bit of a letdown or even a, a huge amount of a letdown. Then I watched it again to kind of, just to kind of let all, all the kind of various elements of it be clear in my mind because there's a lot to take in apart from apart from buckles there's you know there's who who her, who um davidson's father was or she was told her father was there's you know there's the various ways in which it dealt with hastings and his issues and the things he'd done with the money and all of that and then the generally kind of emotional element of it which i liked there's a lot about the final episode I liked, which we'll get on to then i watched it go out live my, but my feeling is that everyone involved also knew that it was going to be a bit of a letdown. And in fact, then when they all put out their... Fascinating, Martin Comston put out his t- statement on Twitter in which he said, and fully understand it wasn't the urgent exit type ending some anticipated. Jed tweeted about it saying, you know, it was... Um, what did he say? His, his exact words were, um, we knew attempting to explore the real nature of corruption in our society wouldn't appeal to everyone. And it's almost like they knew as well. He knew as well that it was going to be a bit of a letdown. But as you say, and I, and I absolutely agree with you, I'm not going to go along with the idea that, oh, people aren't getting it, those who ever been disappointed by it dramatically, because that was definitely the mass reaction to it. But I think once, the th- having watched it a third time, I was, think- I was thinking, it now, once you get rid of the stress of the fact that, it, that dramatically it's a different move, it's a complete move away from the style and intensity of what we of, of what went previously, then it feels like absolutely apt and um, justifiable and fascinating and thought provoking and a way of going forward, by the way, as well and, and carrying on the series. And I'm kind of fine with it. So it doesn't. 
So I agree that it is, a, it is, it is an anticlimax, but it doesn't annoy me that it's an anticlimax. And I think it's completely deliberate. And it's fascinating how, and I think it's almost like he's gone, well, after all the twists and turns and, and, and the madness and the moments that stretch credulity to their limit, which he's talked about in the way he writes it and all of that, that he's settled on this ending that had something to say, that he wanted to say about society at large and about corruption in the very highest of places and incompetence in the very highest of places. And he made those points in an interesting way. And, 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 and on top of all of that, there isn't really... He got himself into such an amazing place with this show. And I talked about, we talked about this in the last podcast. I was alluding to this. I don't see any way out that mm. would have worked particularly. Any, what was any other alternative? And for me, the urgent most obvious alternative. Urgent exit yeah, needed. Urgent, urgent exit, exit, right. For me, the only, the, 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 the answer to who um, H the fourth man was or whatever, being um, Osborne, like that, the most powerful figure who also was seen way back, you know, in the earlier series as Buckles was. So Buckles goes back to series one. And, that's, and Jed's talked about how, um, he, you know, he deliberately brought him back because he wanted to have H, the fourth man, being someone who'd been in it from day one. Well, Osborne could have been that person and it would have been more exciting because he's the, uh, the most powerful figure, if you like, in the series at this point. But it would also have been much more obvious. And, you know, how do you make something like that? more surprising because Buckles was the most surprising option. Yeah. So even though it was an anticlimax, it was also a kind of the bathos of it, of the reveal and the way that sequence was directed, you know, with all the way where they kept it, they kept not showing his face and all of that. It was almost, it was comical. I think again, partly deliberately comical and over the top. And then it's this letdown. It's, oh, it's just fucking Buckles, this, this idiot figure. <laughs> so I think it's like, what I'm trying to say is in this long winded <laughs> explanation. Yes, it was anticlimactic. Yes, I think Jed knew exactly what he was doing. He doesn't care that it was anticlimactic. In fact, it was deliberately anticlimactic, and the point he's making is totally interesting and valid. Mm. And the show will carry on, and there'll be more amazing moments. So it's kind of fine, really. Isn't the point made that it could still be... Osborne st could still yeah. be Ben, Carmichael could still exactly. be Ben, any of them, because exactly. there isn't a final suspect yes. and the corruption stops because the corruption is everywhere. It's in the bones and the joints and the fat yeah. of, of the institution. I will just make one point. This is the thing that I keep tripping over with Buckles, right? I get that he wasn't an evil criminal murdering mastermind, but he clearly was involved. You know, he said, oh, I just passed on information, but he was responsible for people being murdered. And I keep thinking about the scene in the cell when um, uh, Neil from the office is brought back um, from being questioned <laughs> yep. by AC12 and Buckles is in his cell. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we've got to bunk in together in, in a really weird thing. And he looks down at his hands and Buckles' hands are shaking. And that's the big clue that something terrible is just about to happen to him. And I thought, well, how can he be H if his hands shake? at this murder happening in front of him? Or is it just that he'd never actually witnessed that or been in the room for that? He'd just passed information along that yeah. had allowed other people to do those acts? Because he was genuinely terrified in that moment. And it was a warning to him. The guy says, this is what happens to rats, yeah. essentially. But yeah. I got the impression from this that like H was not real. H was a fiction. H was like a phantom figure. There was no H. All it ultimately worked out was the fourth man was just this kind of middleman who acted as a go-between between all these various sort of splintered parts of the OCG. So they weren't like this, you know, superordinate organisation with tendrils everywhere. They were just corrupt people all over the place who had a kind of a loose communication network. And he 
did them together. Let, let's, you know, because he greenlit Joe. Like, he sends that message saying yeah. Joe is a threat, you know, and where she is, whatnot. So he's clearly, you know, an amoral. He's, he's complicit in the murder and all sorts of things that went on. But it does seem a lot like all he essentially was was like a glorified, you know, secretary and sort of put people in contact with other people and facilitated things. He was more of a, more of a kind of yeah. a, a fixer. Than an He's definitely not a hands-on killer, and I think I yeah. think the justification for that scene that you talked about um, in, in prison was that he he's confronted by the physical reality inches away from him of someone being garroted yeah. to death and I think so I think yeah, that's fine because I think he's just clearly not a hands-on killer unlike you know the, the various pe- people we'd seen who are who were shown by the, the when they unearthed the mm. box yeah but, and all but of he all, did, all, all, but to James's point he did green light Joe and he greenlit like Gail yeah, yeah. like he was he yeah. so th- that still takes a level of you know cold-blooded nurse to order her murder basically and then he would his hands would shake because a guy was going to get murdered in front of him. Maybe that's because for the first time he feared for his life and his safety. That's the wrinkle for me because the person mm. who was sending those messages and said you've got to get rid of Fle- you've got to get rid of Fleming, right? You've got to get rid of her. Like when he sent that, like again, that was cold bloodedly yeah. arranging for somebody to be murdered, and that doesn't square with the buckles we see in. Pri- I'm not bothered about the public buckles because. People can portray whatever they want to, but he seemed scared and meek in that prison scene. I wonder whether there's just a fundamental difference between saying to someone else, oh, God, this person might find me out, get rid of them, kill them, and then having to watch someone be garroted are probably, yeah. you know, it, it is. I think it's, it's witnessing it, having to deal with, you know, the consequences of his actions firsthand. But then also the answer to this I is because think, drama, you know? <laughs> but, I yeah. also think, but I also think there's a banality of evil point here that he is like, he, he, he is someone who is not, Thinking about the um, the implications of what he's become embroiled in, and that he would, yeah, and that basically, you know, he will just matter of factly okay the murder of various colleagues, um, because it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't affect him, it affects him positively in terms of his career and his mm. situation, and can go play golf with his mates and drive his stupid car and you know all, all this and have his lifestyle, and they hasn't, and that that is what makes him actually evil and hideously corrupt and all of that. And almost like at the same time, yeah, when confronted by the reality of it, it's 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 horrible. But he probably he he isn't confronted by the reality of it very often. I think that's partly partly an element of his character. And the, the greed thing, right? So they said it was down to greed, like, and they talked about the money he had and the houses he had. But I, I was like, I, he still has to live an ordinary life as that copper to keep his cover up. He still has to drive a, a service vehicle. You know, he he can't be seen to be spending that money or living an extravagant lifestyle. So, greed to what end? Uh, well, the weekends he can go play <laughs> golf and live in his mansion and have a great time. But do you know yes. what I mean? Like his full his full time yeah. job is still mundane, and he still drives a shit car and dresses in his bad suits. The amazing, you know, bad suits line from Kate. Um, I don't know. The greed bit didn't really because it's not like he made a load of money and then ran off to Spain and did a farewell and you know lived in a, a mansion. I don't. I don't know. Um, there's still little bits for me that aren't aren't quite sitting mm. right. Because what is his motivation? Because he's a weak, pathetic man. He's he, he doesn't mm. seem to be ego. He didn't. I don't think he wanted to be this big criminal mastermind. Um, or was it just that he got in like Joe? Once you've done a certain amount of work for them, they start off small and then it escalates, and and you owe them. And at any point, they can out you, and you, you know, and you'll be in prison as a convicted police officer. Yeah, but there there are sort of the multiple ways. You know, there there are the cops that they recruit by 
catching them, getting blackmailing them, and then drawing them deeper and deeper. And then the deeper they get in, the more blackmail material they have over them. This is the people that they draw in. There are the the people like Joe who are born into it in one way or another and join the force, like Ryan does, uh, specifically for the OCG. And then I guess there are people who, you know, fundamentally just a slightly amoral, see opportunities to make money on the side and just take that opportunity. And then perhaps like used, he could easily have been that. Like, that's not to say they had anything on. He might have just thought, you know what, I'm a bit shit at this, but I can make loads of money by doing X, Y, and Z. He's not a sort of moustache twirling criminal mastermind. He's just a bit of a pleb who's just like borderline incompetent and yet has fallen into this situation. There were hints that he thinks more of himself than we think of him. And I think, you know, no one, I think there's interesting because no one thinks of themselves as a complete bumbling fool, do they? Like, <laughs> and and that, I thought what was clever in the interrogation scene particularly is his little moments where he thought he was going to triumph over over them, you know, when he was but whispering. Because yeah. he fails. Yeah, ineptly. But, but he thought he... You. Yeah, right. And, and his little you. grin. But obviously he is a complete doofus still. Yeah. <laughs> and an idiot. But, which again was part of the point that Jed Mercurio is making. Yeah, my, my wrinkle... My little wrinkle in the in the storytelling of the final episode was who um, signed off the um, the operation to get Joe Davidson into the car. Do you know what I mean for her presumably well, to be Fleming assassinated? Signature. The for, yeah, the forging of the signature. Who did that? Because yeah, Buckles, Buckles must have. He was in prison, so there must be a yeah. someone. There's someone in AC12 who is dodgy and bent who who did that physically. But it wouldn't have been an AC12 thing, was it? Because she wasn't back officially with AC12 at that right. point. Uh, she was still working sure. Operation Lighthouse. So it would have been someone on that staff. Yeah, because the yeah, other so signature, there's... the other signature on the form was Lomax. So you think so? Either he was in on it, uh, yeah. or they forged both people... their signatures. But I yeah. think I think again, if Judd's point is that there is no end to it, there is no unveiling of hate which ends institutional corruption because institutional right. corruption is baked mm. into the very structures of it. Therefore, it's like playing whack-a-mole, right? Because you get rid of one, another one pops up, another one pops up. It isn't a bad one bad apple. It's 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 corruption sewn into the piece. I quite like the idea that Osborne isn't connected to the OCG. And I like the fact that, you know, he's drawing a line between, like, all the way through this, it's been about institutionalised corruption, like that there is this super evil body, this OCG, and they have infiltrated the police and all this sort of thing. But actually, Osborne, from the very first episode when we see him, he's a different type of corrupt. He's just a corrupt individual where he's a policeman. He will abuse his authority. He will lie. He will cover up and do what is best for him and his career. Because it's what he does at the beginning when he lies about that anti-terrorist incident in which Steve's involved where the guy loses his life. He lies about that to cover for him, for his operation, for his officers. And he has no problems about lying and then ruining the career of Steve for trying to do the right thing. So I think it's that idea that, you know, he doesn't have to be part of institutionalised corruption to be a frankly slightly dodgy cop. And I actually think, yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting point. I think that's a good point, yeah, because there's also the Lawrence Christopher case that they that yeah. they're involved in. That was that was to do with just covering up racism and cover, and institutional racism. You know, again, Jeb McCurry making that point um, very strongly. In uh, and, and yeah, I think maybe if yeah, maybe in fact, um, if that's another element to the fact that if it had have been him revealed to have been the fourth man slash H slash whatever, it would have let him off the hook in a way, weirdly, wouldn't it? For 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 what his failings during the Lawrence Christopher case, which if you like, which I thought, you know, which in a way like you might care more about than a lot of other actual, than than almost like a lot of other dealings that happen in the history of the show, because that case has real world parallels that Jeremy Curio is clearly drawing upon. 
Um, I think we're not. I think we're meant to think very, very little of the people of the cops that are involved in that, from, including Thurwell, etc. And not forgetting about the OCG, just corrupt corruption, cover up, institutional racism, etc. It's interesting. I was looking back over when I interviewed Jed for um, for the feature we did in Empire. And there's loads of things he says in it that kind of I think. And now, now I've we've, now we've seen the whole thing. He said this. Um, I was I asked him about how the show had ch- evolved over the the history, and he said if you look at the history of the show, we started shooting in 2011. Ten years on, I think if people were to look at our most powerful institutions and see how much integrity and accountability there is, they'd feel line of duty is carrying the fire for those who care about holding <laughs> politicians and senior public figures to account. And carrying the fire was what he posted, wasn't it? After yeah, and also it's what Ted says. This was Ted's instruction, isn't it, to carry the fire yeah, to you know, keep fire, fighting yeah. the fight. Yeah. Mm. So I think for him, the bigger the bigger issue is this. This is a powerful tool he's got, the biggest show on TV, and he's going to fucking make his point about all, about these institutions and fuck you know fuck those. <laughs> frankly, you know, not not that he doesn't give a toss, but like that's more important to him clearly than a d- huge drama and a huge kind of mm. almost uplifting explanation of who the fuck H the fourth man was. Well, then it's- does that make what came before like? almost like trolling us or or deliberately setting up as a red herring where we thought it was going to go and and therefore it makes the point more powerfully because if it was a yeah. more realistic version without the incredible dramatic set pieces and Steve taking out a sniper um, in, a, in a shot that would never be... I've interviewed some SAS men in my time, including Andy McNabb, and let me tell you that that shot would not be possible and you could not take a sniper out like that. But if, if it if it... If it was a more um, ordinary, I suppose, in in its um, dramatic intent, then maybe it wouldn't have got the head of steam that it did. And therefore, when he landed the point, eventually, it wouldn't have been so powerful, whether people like it or not. Mm. And I do think this is a finale that will... I think people will be sore about it for some time, but I think look back on it in five years and people will talk about it as one of the great finales for all of the reasons that you're saying because i think the point will bed in more and more over time it's 100 percent. i think it i think it is about the test of time it's about thinking long term and by the way i, th- I just think it's so obviously going to come back anyway that you, you know oh god 100 percent. there's no way there's no way on uh, at all first of all the bbc is going to let a show that gets 15 million people watching it not carry on B, I think when the finale when the finale of a show like this happens, it ha- we have to know it's the finale, and uh, and I think there's there's a reason why you know um, Hastings is is um, appealing his his redundancy. You know, there's a reason why um, we saw them go in the lift, your your lift your lift shot, and all of that because this is it's, it'll be a reset, etc. But and it might take time, but there's no way that is the fi- that is the ending. Ending, no, absolutely not. And uh, he'll come up with something that I think will be a very different. What is exactly? Because you asked him this question in the interview that ran in Empire, didn't you? And you've got it in front of you. Yeah. What was his answer to this question? Read it out to us. Um, I haven't got that bit of the interview in front of he me. Said, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I read it yesterday. So his answer was: okay. he did say he was going to, because somebody circulated it on Twitter, and they said he said that he was going to kind of see the reaction from the public to the final episode and that he hadn't decided really at yeah. the point you interviewed him. Because so, it's going to yeah, come that- down to him because I have no doubt the BBC would let him make more. It's oh. just whether he oh, decides yeah. <laughs> he wants to make more. You know, we're still yeah, waiting for season totally- two Bodyguards, so. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's totally down to him. But I, 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 but I think that I, my interpretation of his answer to the question was that it's like, it's a circumstance. Yeah, if it carries on being hugely successful, 
Hmm. then it's going to carry on. It was almost like, well, if it, if it somehow dips, if the popularity of it dips, then he'll have to come up with an ending. But I don't think that time is yet at all. I think like... Hmm. I think he definitely wants to carry on. No, and I don't, I don't think people not liking the finale indicates a dip in popularity. If anything, the no. reverse is true. They're so invested that they wanted it to be more. But kind of, you know, going back to that, like we talked about this uh, on Pilot, like the fact that, you know, it felt like all of the various threads that built up in the previous five seasons were all being tied together in this sixth season. And it felt like this was, as Boyd said, the Avengers endgame of Line of Duty. Like everything was going to come together. All these old characters were turning up again. We'd have the big payoff. And while Endgame did amazingly managed to nail that bringing all those films together in one thing you know it's a big ask to do that and given how great this series has been in the past to expect this to be the ultimate payoff for all of that work that's come before it you know uh, you know as as we've mentioned i don't know quite what he could have done because if you think about it as you said osborne would have been too obvious and disappointing you know bringing in someone we hadn't heard of wouldn't have rung true if it had been ted it would have been utterly ridiculous there were no viable options here you know I there was the nothing one, right carl michael right is an interesting yeah. is one isn't it because she is like the darth vader of the show she is the <laughs> villain of the piece uh, and literally when she walks in, you know, there's someone carrying a coat and, you know, she's she she, she has almost like you expect the Darth Vader um, anthem to be to be um, playing in the background. And she's comically, I think comically, and I had, I had a discussion on Twitter with someone talking about, you know, whether the sh- that someone said the show is humorless and there is not enough, you know, comedy in it and there's no jokes. Well, I think that is, I, I, my thing is a massive misinterpretation because she alone is one of the campest, most over-the-top characters in TV drama and brilliantly so. And I think he, t- I think Gemma Kier loves playing with us in that way. He's a very playful writer, uh, even though the, obviously the tone of the show is, is you think it's taking itself seriously because people because the characters don't talk in Sorkin-esque, you know, funny dialogue. And he's and he said before, he explicitly said in the past, he writes the dialogue to be, you know, just realistic and authentic. Hence all the all the you know all the abbreviations and all of that. He, and he kind of is against flowery, deliberately comical dialogue, if you like. But of course, it's still great fun and funny. And she's a funny character, and she as played by Anna Martin. You know, putting her putting her all into that character, brilliantly entertaining villain, and she could have been. They could have found a way. I think of making her, mm. you know, the villain, the the fourth man, so to speak. But again, it's like that almost went too easy an option, wouldn't it? I think like so. And and I think it makes know. more. Sense. You still right. don't she's, fully know why is so she? When, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why the fuck is she so? Why was she ordering them to shred? evidence yeah. you know why is she so against um dealing with with institutionalized corruption it yeah. could just be that she's a fucking snotty difficult person and she hates <laughs> ted for some pragmatic. reason you get the sense yeah. she's pragmatic right yeah. she says when she, when kate gives you know the dodgy account of what happened with ryan and she basically says look i know you i know you're lying but i'm a pragmatic person um and you get the sense she's pragmatic but I, what i did like is the again it, the ambiguity around her and osborne i think it's like you'll never know and we will never know because they don't all get caught and to james's yeah. point some of them are incompetent because um are corrupt because they're being manipulated by a criminal gang or a part of a criminal gang Others are just bad people. You have like um, criminal coppers and you have bad coppers who are just bad people who happen to go into the police, right? And you have a mix yeah. of all of those people. But I think I felt she was, I felt Anna Maxwell Martin was uh, was 
underused in the final episode. Yeah. I think they'd set her up to become a pivotal part of the piece. And I understood why, actually, that final interrogation, you wanted it to be the three OGs, right? You wanted to see yeah. Hastings, Kate and Steve in a room together like old times. That felt lovely. But with her absence kind of sat in the office, it, it just felt underused. And you'd hope, I'd hope that any future thing has her in it. Um, and when Ted says, carry the fire, and she sits there and she pulls that face, you're like, does that face mean? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I secretly agree with him and I'm going to, I really want this police force to be better. Or does that face mean I'm an evil bitch and I'm going to go and ring my OCG <laughs> mates? Like, you just don't know. And that's right, the thing right. is, Absolutely. You, don't, yeah. you don't ever know. But I thought, what did we think of Ted's confession so there were, there were two outstanding bits of business right one of which was the money that um steve found in steph corbett's house that was from the same lot of money that ted was given accidentally by um the dodgy man and didn't give it back and basically they thought he would half the money had gone missing and it becomes apparent to steve that that half the money has been given by hastings to steph after john corbett's death the second thing was when Steve went to visit, what's his name? Carl Banks. To, no, Carl Banks in prison. Carl Banks in prison and says, basically, uh, who? how did you find out about John Corbett? And he says, Ash, your gaffer. So you've got these two outstanding bits of business. I think that's which Lee, is, Banks. Lee Banks. Just, sorry, just a bank explained to you there. An, I knew it was a bank. <laughs> but he visits Lee Banks in prison and essentially the, the information is relayed that John that they there is an undercover cop in their ranks and John Corbett ends up getting killed. So those are the two outstanding things hanging over him which uh, Kate and Steve confronted him with. I was kind of satisfied with the outcome. You know, obviously, Steph, he said he felt bad for her after what he'd done to John or or the information he'd given, which had led to John's death. And he felt guilty, so he gave her the money. The second thing was, and I found that quite shocking, the fact that he had let that be known and that that had led to John Corbett's death. I found that really shocking. And I... I was glad that he confessed because I felt like the, he became the moral centre of the show. Mm. He became the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong. He became our moral centre in the show. And he knew he'd done wrong and he, he seemed genuinely grief-stricken by what had happened to John and guilt-ridden. And I think it's entirely right that he went and, and told Carmichael and confessed mm in that way and it kind of doesn't matter i think some people are saying why didn't they tell you at the end what happened to him and whether she you know whether he was charged with anything it's like it doesn't matter because it's about the good men choosing to do the right thing that's the kind of fundamental message that goes along with the incompetence in the highest office in the land message <clears throat> boris um is the <laughs> that good men should always try and do the right thing even if they've previously done the wrong thing and i felt like that was quite a simple but a really important message for hastings to leave with us as a character mm, i think that's the yeah, one thing for me that would have upended this show and it came to like last season when everyone was like you know is is hastings h is hastings ben it was like it's kind of like if hastings is bent we riot do you know what i mean like at that point mm. i think i would lose faith with the show because it does feel as you say he's been the moral center from the very beginning of this unwavering utterly unbending completely immovable object that is ted hastings jesus mary joseph and the wee donkey there is absolutely no chance ted hastings was going to be bent um so yeah I, I agree with you i'm glad that he uh he cleared his conscience at the end there did you ever doubt him did you ever doubt in ted no uh, no and, and i think 
I think it was important that they reminded us that Corbett did take part in the torture of yes. his wife. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was... I mean, he went... I mean, let's face it. I know he was undercover. <laughs> he went off the deep end. With, with the OCG. Them. Yeah. Right. So I feel like, yeah, obviously, you know, Ted Ted did wrong in many ways. But, I mean, fucking hell. He, he, yeah. he, he did remind us that Corbett wasn't exactly, a, 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 you know, a, a, a also, kind of white Also, he had Monique killed, didn't he? He, he, yeah, yeah, he, he told Ryan yeah. to kill Monique. Yeah. So, you know, she Absolutely. was also a serving police officer. That was yeah. too... To, that was one life he was directly responsible for. And I do think yeah. we forget that sometimes about John Corbett is there was stuff he did. There's a certain allowance of things you have to do as an undercover officer to keep your cover. Like kneecapping Ted's, <laughs> kneecapping Ted's <laughs> wife out of a personal grievance definitely wasn't. And he taught, I mean, horrifically yeah. tortured yeah. her. Right. So, yeah, exactly. For me, the only surprising thing about what Ted did that in those two, in those two, resolved storylines that you talk about is the lack of surprise about them because i just assumed both of those things were the reason he did them all along going back mm. to you know there was always an ex explanations for the money this kind of explanation there was always that justification for what he did anyway with corbett it was just a case of kind of confirming that mm. he did things that were of du dubious that were definitely dubious and against the rules blah 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 but in the end as a mo as the moral center of the show he's still absolutely unimpeachable mm. and i thought that again it was so funny how it felt like almost comical how they left it right to the end for him to go back and uh, you know go back and um see carmichael <laughs> to make his confession and i thought that was going to be something completely different i thought that was going to be like the final twist because the way it was directed and written yeah. and performed was so like oh my god something amazing is going to happen it's like an am finally moment a final twist and no it's just him saying exactly what he assumed all along happened <laughs> you know and just I telling her it was like oh another anticlimax within the general anticlimax mm. of the final I know, episode when they, were, when they were getting in the lift and i said to my boyfriend i went <gasps> And he said, hold on. And I went, yeah. oh, my God, what did he yeah. say? Hold and I was on. like, does he walk right. in and make it clear they're both in the OCG? Like, what does he do? And yeah. then he goes, oh, yeah. I did this, by the way. And I was like, yeah. oh, come on, Ted. Yeah. But I, I totally, you know, I totally, again, it's like Jed playing with us because I totally thought he was going back and he's going to literally say say something that's going to unveil Carmichael as being somehow involved in something bad and give us a little last minute twist before, you know, we, we, we end this segment of thing and Series 7 comes along, you know, in, in 18 months' time or whatever. But no, I, I mean, he is definitely toying with us. It's, it's you know, he is, he is a master manipulator in these things. But there's also that sense, isn't it, that there's an there's an unspoken contract people have been talking about, you know, between the viewer and the writer, whereby you invest many, many hours of your life and in exchange you are given what it is you want. But obviously whatever what it is you want varies from person to person. But everyone seems to take it as their personal due to get the ending oh. that they themselves absolutely wanted. And at some point right. you've just got to trust in the showrunner and say, no, what they've done is he has sold me a vision of a story he wants to tell. And we have to follow him for the ride and experience a story as he lays it out. And it's the same thing with with game of thrones like everyone seems to have cancelled game of thrones because they were so underwhelmed by the eighth season it's like you can love it or not and it has some great moments in it and it has some bad moments in it but ultimately you know that is the story and just one just because you didn't love the final season does not make that show now shit it's still one of the greatest shows ever made same with line of duty if you you know if you love the show if you love this season that final episode even if you found it underwhelming does not suddenly negate everything that came before it and i think you have to you have to go with you have to trust in Jed and say, look, this is a story he wants to tell, and this is the message he wants to get across. This has been Jed's vision all along, and I think we kind of have to roll with it.
Episode two of Inside Number Nine, the new series, is about fan entitlement. And there's a moment, and I had to I had to write it down because I thought it was so appropriate. It's basically Reach Steve <laughs> Pemberton plays a showrunner, a massive successful showrunner of a long-running multi-series epic um TV drama. And Reese Shearsmith is this demented fan who somehow wheedles his way into his into his life. And they talk about the incredibly disappointing series for season finale. And um <laughs> Steve Pemberton's character says, Well, I always knew the ending was going to be deliberately low-key and the other character says or boring and he goes it wasn't boring it was diminuendo and diminuendo means a decrease in loudness and intensity and it was literally like it was written for line of duty uh, but i think that there's a point about fan entitlement to be made yeah yeah well i was just gonna say that is i think it's more than fan entitlement i think it's just the entitlement of the modern age where we think we get to demand everything exactly as we want it and that's not how art works it's not how film works it's not how telly works and but to james's point i think it's important that you take line of duty everything that's happened before in its totality and you can't argue with the craft on screen like that final season those middle group of episodes were just remarkable like mini movies and this is you know a bbc sunday night show the the Everything from the writing, it, I just think it's an impeccable piece of television. I think just because you don't agree with the ending doesn't make mm. that not true anymore. And quite honestly, I found it quite moving that we are, as a nation, came together like that. And I went to bed on Sunday night and Twitter was on fire with people screaming at each other about whether it was a good enough ending or not. I woke up on Monday and it was still the same. And I was like... It's amazing that telly in this country has that power, that we all tuned in on a bloody Sunday night and we're all that invested and we all feel that strongly about it. What does that say about the state British telly then? I think it says something really, really fucking great, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, don't be entitled. It's not People don't owe you a story. People... you. You you put your faith in them and you and you as James says you go with them you don't yeah. get to tell them where to go. Jed Mercurio is not your bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I also think there was some brilliant. Just to say, I think there were some brilliantly um, pleasing moments in the finale. I love the fact that because remember at the, at the start of the series, well, the, the 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 big three, you know, our three heroes were split apart, mm. you know, and um and I thought the bringing to bringing them back together, you know, was a real was I thought there was a much more of an emotional undercurrent. Um, you could almost call it a sentimental undercurrent, but I don't think there's anything wrong with sentiment. And having them, you know, the two of them meeting in the pub, mate, all right, mate, you know, and all of that, and the lift, <laughs> I know the lift scene. Um, I loved all that, I have to say. I love the fact that they were back together and they yeah. kind of... They, and the, it was the and shot, I loved it was the, just the shot, Boydie. I know the shot, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. But yeah. I love the fact that, the, the, um, that she went to see the shrink and there was that very clever mm-hmm. reveal because she thought he was talking to Arnott and he was he was actually talking to her. It's played by Steve Oram, who was brilliantly cast, even that that part, little part, brilliantly cast by a great actor. So I, I kind of there were there was more of a kind of emotional beat, and and he was definitely making you know making an interesting point about these these people, these police people, these law enforcers whose lives are their jobs, you know, and and what effect that has on them, and the fact that in the end the deep the deep lasting meaningful relationships are going to be between them in in their mm. jobs in their office played out in the office and in the pub afterwards after it all plays out. 
I enjoyed the fact that when this uh, series started, you saw Kate working with Joe Davidson. And the assumption, of course, is that she's undercover. And it's not until she refers to her as D.I. Fleming, using her real name, and you think, oh, she's actually yeah. fucked off. Yeah. Like, she's been transferred. Yeah. And it's all, it is all changed. And I think, you know, watching all the seasons, it's really interesting, the dynamics between uh, Steve and Kate, where... You know, he's the sergeant and then he's up for DI, but then he loses it because frankly, he can't start shagging suspects and witnesses. And then she gets promoted to DI and then he has to start calling her mum. Like how the dynamic sort of shifts between them and then she moves out. It's, yeah, I, I love the way they've evolved. And I, and I think it's yeah. been nice watching that relationship strain and come back together. And as they, as you said, they get reunited at the end of this one. And there was a lovely moment where, where, where he, Steve, Steve confesses that he slept with, um, yeah. Corbett's, and she's Corbett's, like, oh, Corbett's, oh, Corbett's come wife, which is like, Steve. <laughs> oh, come on. Sake, yeah. Steve. Fuck Steve. <laughs> also, can we talk about the F bombs? Like, was this is this the first line of duty F bombs we've had this season, or have I just not noticed them in the past? I think they're rare. I think they're very, very rare. I think he parcels them out very carefully. Yeah, um, at key moments, definitely. Yeah. Also, like, I love the fact that at the end of this, you know, you know, Ted, you know, they're victorious. They're all in the lift together. They're carrying the fire. Where the fuck is Chloe? Where the so, fuck is yes. DC Chloe Bishop oh, who I did know. all the fucking work? I so know. I, so you know, I mentioned a. Chloe is the MVP. Let's be very frank about that. She she would literally go off screen for six minutes, do a ton of police work, which essentially <laughs> solves the case, and appear back with a pile of papers and go, so I found out that they killed them, that went there, that money went there, and they, he's guilty. Like that. And I, my, so my my theory was that she was Tony Gates' daughter. Yes, I remember um, this. Because I'd added up how, how old she would have been when it started, and I thought that would be a great way to bring it back full circle and that she was somehow trying to avenge his death or had got dragged into the OCG after he died. Um, but I, I was like convinced um, that that was going to be Jed's way of kind of taking it back to the beginning. And then it became apparent she was just a really, really good, diligent police officer. <laughs> Who, by the way, is a better police officer than anyone else on screen at any point. Um, she is amazing. And I was, yeah, I felt like she didn't get much. I mean, it couldn't really, right? Because she's not been the heart of the show so mm. far, you're so invested in the main three and their relationship. Perhaps um, that's the other message. It's sort of, you know, the mediocrity, the triumph of mediocrity in Buckles, and then the fact that the people who do all the work get no fucking credit, and the sort of flashy, all-mouth people walk away <laughs> as the heroes. <laughs> just what Jen is telling us. <laughs> I think that's true. I think the fact that she did go to the pub with them, which people were a lot of complaining about, I, I thought yeah, that was... Not, abs- <laughs> not, not even invited not, to my, the pub. My explanation for that was, I'm like, I, I, am, I, I am literally discussing it like she's a real person, but... But, you know, fair enough. Um, I feel like she's one of those people who doesn't want to mix um, work she won't be up with it. pleasure. She won't be yeah, up she for it. She friends. didn't want to go to outside of work friends. Yeah, she's keeping them totally separate. Absolutely separate. And that's absolutely fine. And she's, a, she, she's you know, she's literally the person who's just telling us what is happening in the case all the time. I mean, she has no extraneous dialogue. Actually, that's not true. She did talk about the racism, didn't she, in the in that, in that case and how it yeah. affected her, which was her, her kind of, a great little moment in the in her, in the show, Shalom Bruno Franklin, brilliant performance, brilliant yeah. casting again. Um, but it was, I, I was, I think she, she's there is an element of like all the other people that kind of do the hard work yeah. for the like, three for the like golden trio. Amanda Yao, <laughs> played by Rosa Escoda, yeah. the police cybercrime expert who wanders in every now and then and again cracks massive parts <laughs> of the case. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do feel like they're all sitting there watching these three getting all the credit and loving it, loving it, and loving all their pounds strolling around like they're they're, the, they're God's gift, thinking deeply resentful. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay, all the just like what credit. the fuck? They're the anti buckles. They're the people who get no yeah. credit and do everything. Um, they are the anti buckles. One thing I do want to say, and, like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pick holes. I mean, I'm a hundred percent going to pick holes, but I'm <laughs> no, just careful. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're fine. Okay, so, so my issue is this. And I have consulted with Empire's chief sub-editor, Liz Beardsworth, and she confirms that definitely is one of the most misspelled words in the English language, along with separately, interestingly. And it is so common that I'm not sure it's quite the smoking gun they thought it was. Hey, hey we've gone back and we found out that Buckles consistently fucks up his grammar and he always misspells the word definitely. It's like, therefore, he is guilty. It's like, um... <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. That that yeah. um that old paperwork did a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, did. We've realised you're the fourth man because you spelt definitely wrong in 1993. You are guilty of shit spelling. <laughs> Buckles was like, yeah, guilty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's me. I confess. It's like what? <laughs> there is something about Buckles, though. I must admit, I've I've got to say, I I genuinely love Nigel Ball's performance as that character. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he's brilliant. You know, he's like a bit stupid, but also like smug in his stupidity. He's he's a lot of fun. I like the fact he didn't do the pantomime turn. So we did have the no, moments. Mm, he yeah. had the few, like when he went, "Oh, I've made mugs of you lot," and there was a little bit of a change in his demeanour, but. Um, I think people were expecting like the whole thing had been an act, and he'd be mm. like, "What? <laughs> That's my uh, villain laugh." <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and that he'd suddenly be this scheming evil, per- and he wasn't. He was still a bumbling prat. But mm. to your point, he had a smugness. So he felt he probably. Do you know what it was? He probably felt like not an idiot for the first yeah. time in his life. So the mm. OCG gave him some kind of, instead of constantly being the bumbling, incompetent <laughs> idiot, made him feel like he was somebody and something and yeah. not quite so idiotic, yeah. maybe. He thought he was going to get away with having uh, getting into the witness protection and you know and getting yes, uh, uh, immunity and all that. Yeah, he thought he, he thought he'd triumph. What did you make of Fairbank? Obviously, Chief Superintendent Patrick Fairbank, played by George Costigan, who is obviously claiming dementia for a lot of this stuff. Did you buy it? Did you think he was faking it? What did you, I mean? Because he could have gone either way. Yes, it's a it's a convenient excuse, but also it's just like he could at that point genuinely have dementia and has escaped justice just because of that. I bought it. I thought he, because yeah. I, again, I liked the fact that that wasn't a big reveal, that it wasn't like, you know, he he plays the man who can't remember anything. And then suddenly when they've got him banged to rights, he's, you know, sharp yeah. shows he's got a precise mind. I think he's a really bad guy who is now suffering from dementia. Mm. When he wet himself, I was like, I think it's quite hard to like wet yourself on. Well- all the way through Series 3 as well, you got that impression that he was very much in decline because mm. it, it always rang hollow. There was that slight sort of hollowness of the victory in Series 3 that he was, you know, covering up all this child sexual abuse. But actually, you know, how much would he ever pay for it because he was in mental... I mean, he is in prison, to be fair. But, Which, uh, again, is true, it's true, right? There's been a mm, lot of, of public yeah. cases where people have either been considered too ill or too unwell to actually um, either stand trial fully or be in a certain type of prison so the 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 feeling is very much that he's in an pretty much like an open well low security prison because of of his health yeah. and f- under far less i suppose um harsh conditions than he would if he was in full health there are definitely real world examples of 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 people who 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 use 
that reason of of, of mm. mental decline or, or physical decline. I mean, Harvey Weinstein, I think, you know, yeah. has, has tried to claim he's suddenly incapacitated and all of that. Um, but and yet you believe it because yeah, you're right. The the, the peeing himself moment I think was pretty. I think we were supposed to take that as well. He's not. He's not. He's not pretending. This just is the situation. And here's the one. Obviously, Joe thought was her father. Way through, we find out it is Tommy Hunter, who's her father and uncle, which is ew. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but what did you make of all the Joe family drama there? Oh, poor Joe. I mean, I I know she she done been a wrong one. Well, this is my other thing, right? They go. Oh, she goes, I'm not Ben. But yeah. you are Ben. Just because, and then they go, we know you're not Ben. And I enjoy their use of the word Ben because they mean somebody who's a bad criminal as opposed to a coerced yeah. criminal. And she was like, I'll yeah. show you I'm not Ben after confessing she was Ben because she's been working with the OCG. <laughs> Just a small thing, but that was driving me mad. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I mean, you, you've got to feel sorry for her, right? I think she played it, um, Kelly McDonald played it amazingly from the get-go because you felt her internal anguish she was clearly up to no good but she clearly was massively conflicted and and kind of tortured by it and i i think she was kind of amazing you never doubted that she was a secret evil person you knew she was in over a over a neck into a neck up up or over a red whatever that phrase is (laughs) Um, in bother, but um, complicit in setting up Kate to be murdered, even if yes. she felt bad about it, because that was that worked out. I mean, what what probably would have happened if we're talking about realism? Ryan Pilkinson had already murdered God knows how many people. So when Kate said, "Oh, they they know where you are. They've been following us. They've been um, had you under surveillance." He would have just shot her and legged it to his OCG mates at that point. Yeah. So I, I didn't kind of buy that. And I think Joe would have then been responsible for luring Kate to her death. So, to, yeah, to your point, she only got away with that by the skin of her teeth because Kate managed to shoot Ryan first. But, I mean, she ended up with the, probably the best ending of everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, and, a five-bedroom yeah. cottage or whatever it is and a dog. <laughs> Jumper. And a girlfriend. Did you see the jumper? <laughs> the jumper, yeah. Some excellent knitwear she got. A really, a yeah. really gorgeous girlfriend. Like she, yeah. she was. Yeah, in yeah witness- she landed on her feet. Hey, she landed on her feet. Witness protection is like. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. I, I think she was brilliant. I also think. I mean, it's easy to forget, but the penultimate episode was half of the episode. A half an hour of that show was that interrogation of her. That's incredible sequence where basically she's saying no comment almost 90% of the time. Yeah. And, you know, she's saying no comment in like 8,000 million different ways and being confronted by the the, the weirdness of her of her parental situation. Um, and and, and absolutely, absolutely incredible job in that. So, yeah, I, I thought it was very satisfying to give her the happy, the happiest of happy endings, yeah. if you like, with, with the girlfriend and the dog and the You know what cottage. didn't work for me? Like, I think the one thing that made no sense to me is after Ryan is shot... After Fleming shoots Ryan, why do her and Joe go on the run? It yeah. makes right. no sense to like she shot him in her lawful justifiable duty. shooting yeah. and in her conducting her lawful duty as a police officer in self defence. What? What? Right. Here's why. I, I, here's why. And a lot of people have said this. Here's why. Because at that point, they don't know exactly what what is happening in the higher echelons of the the police they're working with. They don't know what Carmichael, for example, Carmichael could be. H, the fourth man, and could easily manipulate the fact that they've had to shoot this guy and completely cover up the fact that he is a wrong one. Do you know what I mean? So they, they, mm. they at that point, they're at the at the at the point of of, of peak uh, paranoia, if you like, mm. not knowing who is who, and even you know, even to the point of wondering whether at that point whether Hastings is dodgy as well. Again, so and I Steve. thought that was completely. 
than Steve. So that's the whole point, I think, of that whole bit, which people, loads of people have had a problem with. I'm like, yeah, but it's it's supposed to be a dramatization dramatization for me of the moment where no everyone is suspecting everyone else, and of course the fact they've had to shoot this guy could absolutely be used against them and turned against them by the by the people who are in power, the people that, by the dodgy cops and the OCG, etc. So I didn't have a problem with that at all. It just didn't seem. I didn't think it seemed like a very Kate thing to do. She's so by the book, actually, Fleming, and so even if Davidson had been like, "Oh, I'm not sure who we can trust," I just feel like Kate would have played by the rules if you know if you know what I mean like what did she think what was the ultimate plan I mean that's a good question I don't know what she I think they the were trying to gather was, evidence yeah. weren't they because they were going to the OCG yeah. print shop I think they were trying mm. to find some that's kind of right. concrete irrefutable proof um, like they'd gone maverick they'd gone rogue they were investigating yeah. on their own at that point but yeah that, that might have been a little bit far-fetched as you say boy that might well have been the reason for it were you I mean there was a lot of shipping of Joe and Kate in this season like uh, of their of their two relationship together yeah yeah. well and, and, and fully justified it's not shipping without any um, you know any clues no, or suggestions because yeah. they were constantly mm. touching each other and you know mm. there was lots of kind of and having what you know were they or weren't they dates meetings in mm. restaurants and over and white touching. wine etc Touching, hand yeah. Touching, hand so, touching in the corridor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I so I think that was all deliberate. They, yeah, but but then it kind of just because I petered I, out. I could tell that Joe had feelings for Kate, but and it was hinted at that Kate, Kate may have feelings mm. for her. But then, and I wasn't sure if that was part of of Kate being undercover, but as herself mm. double bluffing undercover, and then as undercover as herself but not really herself but being yeah. undercover and trying to get close to Joe but then that wasn't borne out because she believed Joe wasn't bent from the beginning she knew something was afoot but she believed I think in in Joe so I, I didn't really know what what that was meant to be about yeah. Well, I, I, the reason why I liked it, because I, I think that was realistic. I don't think she knew either. I don't think I don't mm. think Kate knew what was happening necessarily with that, you know, like, and that, you know, that maybe there was, you know, there could have been some attraction or or whatever there. Mm. Um, but it was kind of, I thought that was kind of believably unresolved, if you like, and believably ambiguous. I like the ambiguity yeah. of that whole thing. Yeah, I thought that worked really well. But remember, it, it, what's interesting is that he does still write this show, Jed, episode by episode and he does not have everything planned out meticulously you know on a on a on a on a whiteboard with post it notes for every every th- plot thread he kind of you know he does make it up as he goes along he he has uh, you know like i think he knew that he want he, he brought buckles back for example and brought loads of characters back from as early as he possibly could to set the scene for having suspects who could reasonably have been manipulating events from the get go but mm. beyond that he he absolutely always honestly says he does not he does write episode by episode and that's been the way going right back to the first series and so things like the Fleming you know the touching and all of that the Joe Fleming relationship yeah. I think he just probably worked for him at the beginning of this series that ambiguity works in various ways as a character point and as a plot point and then kind of doesn't need to be resolved as he goes on there are other you know there are other issues that come to the fore i think that's part of some things that kind of arise and then get let go by him almost are as a result of the way he works i think which makes yeah. it kind of different. I do find it really interesting with a, a story as plot-centric yeah. as Line of Duty that he can go into a series without any clue how it's going to end and just wing it. Like so many people saying, oh, you know, well, if you look back, you can see it was buckled all along. It's like, you really can't because Jed yeah. didn't know back then, so you certainly yeah. didn't fucking know. Yeah, yeah. 
He never planned on having this big tissue of of you know of uh, of complex this co- this whole web overarching story until middle of season two anyway. But what he did do is go back. He went he he went back and watched the first series again and and worked out the best way of yeah. retconning it basically and and you know and 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 brought these characters back deliberately as a result. But there's no way. But he definitely didn't plan that from, from uh, uh, at all mm. in series one. So it was one and a half, if you like. I think one of his master strokes in this was the Jimmy Nesbitt red herring, ah, which is yeah. just absolute genius. An actor who doesn't at herring. any point appear in the show except in photographs and police reports. Again, yeah. that's how playful he is. That was a total red herring, as you say. <laughs> Casting Jimmy Nesbitt, a complete trolling of the yeah, media. And it worked because I don't know if you knew, you probably, James, you probably barely even looked at No, I did know because it leaked. Yes, yeah. I did see that it It made it into leaked, the papers, yeah. you know, and yeah. they were like, oh, Jimmy Nesbitt's going to be in line of duty and there was the whole thing about jimmy nesbitt in the press for that series the name i've forgotten of that jed produced um earlier this year thank you (laughs) and was saying you know oh kind of mock joking saying i've never been in line of duty why hasn't he asked me to be in line of duty so this was literally a a game it was a trolley it was playful and it was really funny and the fact that it was dispensed with as quickly as it arrived and he was killed in spain and it wasn't even and spain was a complete it was a double red herring wasn't it because the communications (laughs) weren't even coming actually from him it was so brilliant oh um a couple of last things maybe to discuss a little bit of steve stuff in here we had steve and steph's relationship and also connected to that steve's ongoing pain killer addiction which obviously comes from when a a balaclava man threw him down the stairwell in season four what do we so, think of that well i don't know how i feel about him and steph right because uh, again it feels like a red herring because i was i thought she was setting him up for something um and she was involved potentially via hastings or or through somebody else uh, connected with her husband that actually she's in deeper with the ocg than we knew um, and, you know, there was that amazing uh, uh, Twitter theory after there was seemed to be a H spelled out in her kitchen tiles, um, <laughs> which yeah. is amazing. Um, but, I, you know, she the impression you always got was she was very much still in love with her husband. Um, she, she mentions at one point how similar they are as men, although I'm, I'm sure Steve's never had people murdered. Um, but... I, I don't know. I didn't really buy it. And I thought she was using him and manipulating him for something. He's got form. He, got, As you rightly said, James, He, he's famously uh, not been able to keep in his pants. So I wasn't that surprised <laughs> on his side. Yeah. Um, and I thought there must be more to their relationship. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, I was waiting for the big reveal. And then, and then again, the only reveal really is that Hastings had given her money because he feels guilty, which then I thought, well, has he confessed to her that he was the reason John was killed or why else does she think he's giving her money and asking her to hide it in a fucking loft and um, if she knows about what happened to John does that mean she's forgiven Hastings and does that then make actually if there's no bigger reveal if there's no OCG links etc etc does that mean essentially her feelings for Steve were genuine Um, I did wonder because when they went to bed together she was unable to um, have sex with him, and she as was up, he, as, as was he. Mm. And we, and somebody did say, Have we ever found out if Steve fixed his impotence problems? And I was like, <laughs> I don't believe we have. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. They maybe they're both just you know people who have got different kinds of pain going on and find solace in each other. Um, mm. if she, if he is like her husband and her dead husband, and 
he clearly was lonely without Kate around. Um, obviously, there was a distance with him in the gaffer. He seemed very lonely for a lot of the series, mm. and maybe they were just drawn to each other for a bit of... It can't be that lonely. Jolly Rogerson asked him out at the beginning of this uh, series. <laughs> I know, but, like, you know, it, I think lonely for connection and for... I think, you know, Steve actually kept it in his pants most of the season. I think he... he he, that connection him and Kate used to have and everybody takes the piss out of how they say mate and how awkward it is but that's their little thing together and that's their mates yeah. and they like you know Kate when she lost her kids and and mm. all the stuff that they've both been through together they're the only person you can tell that may have been there for them before will have been each other and obviously you know Kate left and and they were distrustful of each other and and it must have been really hard for Steve at that point so if he f- I'm literally doing a reverse ferry as we speak and I'm, I'm now on board and now if he brings in comfort I'm completely on board with him and Steph after saying I didn't buy it <laughs> yeah I think I think it was real I think they you know it was it was I think they had feelings for each other and you know I thought it was absolutely kind of natural for them to get together um and spoon <laughs> go for a, for a night of spooning spoon. why not um and then you know i think he was asked wasn't he i think he kind of said you know he's still, he, in an ideal world he would be interested in having a relationship with her but you know it's not an ideal world one final thing before we get on to some listener questions is i want to talk about gregory piper so gregory piper who plays in this ryan pilkington who we first see in series one calling tony gates a bent bastard as he cycles past in his little bmx and here he is as pc ryan pilkington murderer corrupt police officer i mean talk about playing the long game i love the fact that jed's brought him back as an adult in this i think that more than any other piece of connective tissue i thought that was a work of genius yeah i'm with you and and, um, so while i i fully you know what Boyd's saying about him kind of almost going from episode to episode clearly at the point when he decided this was going to be a bit bit, um, much more of a connected world making that decision and and it's just brilliant seeing him on screen as a little lad and then seeing him as a (laughs) as a man i mean there's a slight um we were talking earlier about credulity credulity and um (laughs) and there's the slight thing about the fact that he you know although he was a child his face is still his face he tortured Steve and yeah. he was then in a unit with Steve's best friend and partner. So the thought that he wouldn't be recognised by anyone at any point when he was a rotten little crim as a kid, I think that was a bit much. Whereas when his face came up and Steve was like, oh yeah, he cut off my finger. Well, <laughs> you know, seems relevant. What was, of course, he's working with Kate. He was, of course, also just going to bu- probably bump into Steve at some point. That bit hadn't necessarily been thought through i didn't think i quite like his cover though that he you know that that police officer had taken him under his wing and he'd reformed himself because yeah. he talks about that in the previous season isn't it when he does his interview yeah uh which i thought was a nice touch i thought and, 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 and he, he, he was a really good performance and lucky you know lucky you don't you know yeah. lucky you bring someone back after probably 10 years you know yeah. um and he turns out to be a menacing a good menacing performance um you know the scenes where he put the gun up against um, Joe's head, etc. The whole they were really good. He was really good. He was, definitely- he was a cold-blooded little fucker. Yeah, yeah cold-blooded little fucker. And one of the slight disappointments is that we didn't get the um, the satisfying. You know, we didn't see him killed. You know, that was a very interesting fact, wasn't it? The way the way they, he did that. That yeah. it was a because of the. I mean, it was a brilliant cliffhanger. But as a result of that cliffhanger, and then where they picked up uh, the next episode, we never saw uh, we uh, we never saw him killed. We never got the, uh, and we certainly never got the you know, the satisfaction of having him a big interrogation scene with him, which would I think would have been really fun. So there's some slight disappointments, but he was great. Yeah, and bringing him back was brilliant. As was bringing back Terry Boyle, of course. 
Yes, um, indeed. Should mention yes, Tommy Jessup, brilliant as as uh, Terry Boyle, the wee the wee fella, as uh, yeah, as Hastings calls him. And the cuckooing storyline, which again, I think I think yeah. worked very well as a, as a through line. Yeah, very much. Um, Let's get on to some some listener questions before we wrap up. First one from Barry White, presumably not that one. Uh, who forged Kate's signature for the production? We've already talked about that one. I think we might have been Lomax. Could have been. Could have been anyone. We don't know. And is Carmichael on the turn? I mean, we've covered that a little bit as well. I don't think she is. I think she's just an absolute job's worth. But... Uh, no, I don't. I don't think could be. Myself. Could be not. I, th- be. I, I think that ambiguity is entirely deliberate, and that gives me hope mm. and excitement for any future yeah. seasons. Yeah, I think she's capable of bad things. I do. Yeah, I think she's yeah. capable of it. Are we? But Boyd isn't yeah. the point that we all are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Close <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> Ford asks, "It would be great to hear who everyone thought H was going to be." I mean, I thought it was Terry, I've got to be honest, but uh, beyond that. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Osborne. Did you? I know it's the obvious answer, and I, but I just think he was the kind of only person left who seemed he would, for, for the dramatic point we expected, he would have been the perfect fit. Or I thought Carmichael, but I just didn't think enough had been built out around her for that to be satisfying either. So I, I felt like if if they were going for the big dramatic ending, it would have been Osborne. And potentially, I thought Carmichael could have aided in bringing him down. There would be mm. some kind of twist in terms of how that was revealed. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was going to either be Osborne or maybe Andrea Wise, you know, um, the Deputy Chief Constable, mm. um, who seemed, yeah. you know, kind of, we didn't get much of a, she was constantly battling with Hastings, obviously, and, and gave him his and basically told him to retire. Um, I thought it was going to be one of those. So I thought, I, I think Osborne, I kind of, I think I thought, I think, do you know what? I have absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever, but I get the feeling that Jed, I think probably Osborne was like a big option for him all the way through. That's why he brought him back. I mean, you know, from, uh, you know, in terms of bringing back characters from the very ver- first series. Osborne um, and Buckles. I think, you know, I think he must have toyed with the idea of making it Osborne. And then as time wore on, I think he just thought it was too obvious to work. Mm. And he wanted to have more of a rug pull surprise, even though it was a very, you know, it was an anticlimactic rug pull surprise. Yeah. No, I think I think you may well be right there. Mm. I do. I will say one thing that I thought, with just speaking of things coming back, I love the fact that the two corrupt prison oh, wardens yes. got their Brilliant. comeuppance in this one because they were terrifying when they yeah. were when they were terrorizing Keely Hawes in, in series two and I think it's brilliant that they came back the way they showed um the assault on for on Farida as well so that you know it just the arm mm. on the back and the scream as the door shuts and I mean they do they are full prisoner cell block yes. H yeah, yeah. don't tell me this it. is not a funny <laughs> show they were brilliant yeah. they, they were, were brilliant. they were full but on genuinely yeah. if you were to ask me what the show most shocking moment of this entire show today. It is 100% for me that moment in series two when they pour boiling water yeah. on Keely Hall's hands. Because yeah. it comes yeah. out of absolutely nowhere. They're like, can you put your hand on here and just draw around and show where? And she just, oh, it's so nasty. It's yeah. so yeah. nasty. Yeah. That's a that really and, harrowing series, series two. That and Keely Hall's slamming a wine bottle against that and the neighbor's head because she's playing the house music too loud. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. full on as well. Incredible moments, yeah. yeah. Dubstep this, motherfucker. <laughs> um. 
Uh, Gareth Baird asks, was no comment the most overused phrase in the last two episodes? For uh, one interview to go like that was frustrating, but the second time was maddening. Uh, I, I think Terry's got a bet. I have uh, a point to make about this, which I bet, I so bet it's I. the same point that Terry's going to make. Because all the well, way through the massive interrogation scenes, one of the issues of them is that people haven't been saying no comment. Because if you watch 24 Hours in Police yeah. Custody, you'll know that yeah. pretty much every single police interview ever, the person, the suspect is advised by the lawyer to say no comment. And so it was actually yeah. the previous five series where there was very very rarely did anyone say no comment that are, that are if anything problematic in terms of authenticity it was these ones where now he brought in the no comment factor that made them actually more authentic yeah completely that like it was I was in earlier seasons I was like they would not speak at this point yeah. they're not they're always told to and me and Boyd have talked about 24 hours in police <laughs> custody and how brilliant it is and that shows exactly that and it shows how the how they have to do their job against a wall of no comment and I think actually what was amazing and I think you mentioned this earlier Boyd was how many different ways Kelly yeah. Donald found to say no <laughs> yeah. comment and how the emotions um, kind of played on her face the moment she broke and did say something I I think he used it as a tool really, yes. really well but I think it was completely unrealistic to expect anybody to because to incriminate themselves essentially like, which is a classic yeah. tv trope isn't it oh mm. you've got me banged to rights governor here was my entire master plan for you yeah. and the audience to enjoy yeah what i thought worked very well is it was the key was wasn't just she said no comment it was what she chose to say no comment to yeah so she, she anything that incriminated herself she was happy to talk about but when there was sort of broader implications that could risk her life she clearly said no comment but also by the expression on her face you knew what the answer was even mm. though no comment was coming out of her mouth so actually i think she acted it beautifully yeah. and i didn't find it frustrating at all because you totally understood what was being said yeah completely yeah, definitely i also think i i think that Gemma curio is definitely aware of the fact that more and more people will have watched these kinds of shows these real documentary shows where you, you, you where you realize that no comment is what is more often than not used and it and that's partly why i think he made that i think that change in the interrogation scenes in this series i i, mm. I really do but have again i have no evidence for that but i i, I, I must ask him one day uh, neil parks asks although i personally didn't mind the ending we got do you think jeb mccurio's choice to go for a political statement rather than a dramatic climax hurt the show's reputation i don't think it hurt the reputation because i think he chose to do not the obvious thing, not the easy thing. I think it's known for rug pulls and surprises. And if anything, the lack of rug pulls and surprises in the end was the rug pull and the surprise. So in mm. in, in, in many respects, I think it feels entirely fitting with both Jed's outlook and the kind of show's history. Um, I, I don't think anybody is kind of judging. Well, I'm certainly not. It's not making me reassess my entire thoughts about Line of Duty. It's very much confined to that to that finale for me. Yeah, completely. And I actually think I think I think as, as Terry mentioned before, I think in the long run it might, if anything, enhance its reputation because I think yeah. the timing of this is key. You know, he he talked about talks about in the interview in about how you know the, the real world correlates, as he called them, of this series is definitely there. Are many more built in to this series than he's had before in the whole history of the show. And that, and that is him addressing things that he wants to address. And I think that's that's great. Stephen Feldman says, uh, based on how brackets lousy, the final episode of Series <laughs> 6 ended, where do you think they should go with the story to redeem themselves for a Series 7? Well, I would argue the show doesn't necessarily need to redeem itself, but where, where would we like to see Series 7 go? Or would we like to see one? Oh, uh, yes. Definitely like to see one. I think there will be yeah. a kind of... 
a, a some something of a reset and i think you know i think it's it, it's set up so that they're, they're the kind of the core team is back together but with the proviso that i think carmichael is it will be in charge you know and i think there'll be uh, my my fantasy is that there's now a regular you know carmichael grappling with 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 our three heroes ongoing and not knowing whether she is a wrong one or not and then having the Osborne factor still being important because he'll be, you know, still in a position of high power. So I think, I think in terms of the, there's still be an element of the overall art being that, you know, what what is happening with Osborne and what is his relationship with Carmichael and other people at the highest echelons of the police. And I think there'll be a, a, a return to a very, very mm. scintillating in- investigation from from the core trio of some kind of police corruption. If this show doesn't come back, though, honestly, I will, whatever, I will. Eat a small donkey. Um, it's it's got to come back. <laughs> a wee donkey. Yes. <laughs> a wee donkey. Even. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I weirdly, I think I would like at this point to see them move away from the OCG. I think that has run its course. Yeah, definitely. I think they will. And I think I yeah. think looking at corruption for corruption's sake within the police is perhaps more relevant and more interesting. And I think the type of corruption that I think Osborne is responsible for, which is not connected to organised crime, he's just a mm. dodgy bloke, I think watching them go after that and gradually sort of rebuild the integrity of AC12 would be, would be, would be a fun way to go. Danielle Edwards asks, among other things, did you see Carmichael thawing at the end or was that just reading too much into it? Well, you see, I, I don't know how to read her response to Ted. I don't know how to read her behaviour in that last episode. Part of me in moments thought um, she's actually a good copper at heart. She just kind of dislikes Ted and thinks he's a bit of a burk. Um and then part of me thought she's in it up to her neck, and I think you, she's she's very hard to read, and I think that's that's deliberate. So whatever was going on in that final scene with Ted, and all she said, if you remember, in response to his confession, is, "What do you expect me to do with that information?" Mm. Um, and didn't respond when he said, "You know, do whatever your conscience allows," or whatever he said. But it's, um, I think, it's been deliberately left that way with her and and I assume or you'd hope a new season would kind of explore whether she is corrupt mm. or bent or not. I just have this awful fear that the that something's gonna happen to our Trinity that because would it be too obvious and too maybe crowd pleasing to bring all three back? Um I think they like I, I think they I think that I think part of the joy of, of the show for all of them Jed and those and the three is working together and that and, and maintaining that and I think that's almost like why I, that's another big reason why I think it will come back is because they love mm. doing this show so much. Um, but I do think the ending ending, which is part, I, I think the ending ending will be one of them dying. I really do. Yeah. I think that's that will be. And and just to and to, just to re-answer the last question again because actually what you were saying there about. Um, Carmichael, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? I, I would love it if the story of a big storyline of season seven is basically Hastings suspecting Carmichael of wrongdoing, of proper wrongdoing and corruption, and that being his paranoia, whether and, and us not knowing whether, in other words, making her really the core of this mm. next series and mm. whether or not she is dodgy or not, I think would be brilliant. I, I'd love that. So, yeah, I, I think there's loads of juice in that uh, mark walker asks which line of duty guest star was your favorite and why was it keely hawes <laughs> <laughs> i mean she i mean it was, is keely hawes yeah she was <laughs> she was utterly deranged because you expect people 
playing that role to be kind of it's quite a binary thing um but she was all over the map in ways you just didn't expect the scene boyd mentions with the wine bottle oh my god i mean absolutely she was in i mean that whole season with her was bonkers i did love lenny james and i loved his story um the ending is just heartbreaking but um yeah i mean Keely, that, that whole the way jed drew that character is so utterly nuts yeah yeah I, I love when she came back in series three that was magnificent yeah. as yeah. kind of like an ally semi-antagonist and she was so awful she was so mm. awful and yet you rooted for her as well because she she had been you know mistreated and abused horribly and she didn't deserve it and yet she was kind of complicit you know it's not like she was innocent and she kept going on about i'm gonna get my job back it's like you keep forgetting the fact you were actually guilty she is lying she was guilty all along but she is ultimately trying to redeem herself and she has that moment at the end when doc kills her where she puts the fact like because i'm a police officer like that it means so much to yeah. her that she actually sacrifices her life for the greater good so i think she does redeem herself at the end but i think that's a magnificent performance and she's a lindsay denton great character yeah. remember how brilliant that surprise was of bringing her back because that was no one knew that at all yeah. they kept that secret so brilliantly and that was a fantastic coup moment, and 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 bringing up. And I loved. Remember the the scene where the, her probation officer tried to basically exploit her, and she that was fantastic. And you know, again, kind of ahead of its time in a way, dealing with a lot of issues that ha that, that have happened since then. Um, but she, everything about her was astonishing in that. In she that, is more mistreated series, yeah. than any other character in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Like she goes through the ring yeah. and she really does. But how would you, how would you, like, what, are we saying Series 3 is the best? I mean, I think for me, Series 3 is the best. How would you rank the seasons? I, I think Series 3 is the best. And I think yeah. Martin Compton said this in the interview that, that, that they all like to, <laughs> their favourite series yeah. Series 3 as well. Um, I think 2 was brilliant where, where like you had Jessica Rain being thrown out the window it was an amazing yes, moment. Such a shocking moment. Such a shocking moment. I think I I, I think the ending at the, at the time I remember people being confused by the ending of series two. It needed a lot of focus and concentration to work out exactly what was going on and to work out exactly how culpable people were. So, but that still might be next because because I, I loved it just because you know. There's a lot going on in that series, um, and the caddy come all the talk of the caddy, etc. Coming to yes, the fore. Yes, the caddy. Um, Tandy Newton's. I, I, th I love that series. I mean, the, her waking up in hospital with you know having her I mean, arm amputated. You know, fucking incredible. Yeah, that was a great season. But are you actually are, are you asking for an actual ordering of of of, our, of the series now? Is that what you want? Yes, yes. Oh, I want. Okay, where right. would you put six? Where would you put six? Where does six fall for you? Do you think? Uh, second for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I maybe, think so. Yeah, yeah, I think. I so. think yeah, six is agree. second. I think you know. Three six. Uh, even you know, say what you want about the finale, but I mean, there was so much going on in this one. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it definitely goes three six. After that, I think it's quite hard to separate them because there are no bad series of this show. Like I said, two is fantastic. So it probably for me would go three six two, and then after that. I know one is fantastic. I, I think Lenny one. James is amazing. There's mm -hmm. a purity to series one of this show that I genuinely adore. Also, as you said, Tandy Newton's fantastic in series four. So I think that's a really, really good one. And there's a lot going on in that too. But then five, um, five probably would come last for me, but that's not a reflection of its quality. I still think it's brilliant from top to bottom. I just think it's fractionally less brilliant than maybe the others are. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, but it is yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. impossible, right? Because there's no, there is no bad 
quote-unquote season. That yeah. is normally on a long-running series. There is a universally agreed season when things take a little <laughs> bit of a dip, and that's just the way it is, and we yeah. all have to live with it. I don't feel like that. And I feel like that what they've done amazingly is the guest star, the guest star is so well chosen, so well written, and so fundamentally shifts the show that it's like almost watching a new thing every single time. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so it never feels derivative or less than or anything like that. You've got a brand new story centering around somebody. You've got a whole new mystery, even if in the end it became much more interconnected and one big story. But I think it's it's like it's reborn every single time, and I think that's the genius of, of those guest stars and the way they're used. Mm. Any final words before we wrap up? Well, one thing we didn't quite mention explicitly is that when you think about it, the, the central case of this this um, series ended up being a bit of a red herring in itself, didn't it? Look, the uh, the Gail Vella, the Gail Vella mm. murder, and it almost became almost like a kind of throwaway thing. Solving that case was like, yeah. and it was it was the. It brought all of, a lot of the elements together quite cleverly. So he came up with this case that could bring the OCG members and the corrupt police involved in previous years together via that case. And I think the case itself felt very topical and full of kind of implications, real implications. But when you think about it, like in the certainly in the early episodes, there was a feeling that who the solving this was a very interesting who done it, you know, and it could have been so very, but actually it ended up being kind of the obvious people who yeah you know it was we, we, all along it was back yeah all along so <laughs> that's just I, I don't know by the by it's just an interesting element of the series that that, that what started out as feeling like, oh the central case and who done it of this series ended up being nothing of the sort yeah but finally yeah. <laughs> well i know but kind of poor gail Bella because yeah it, it so does i think jed seems quite ruthless in terms of if something doesn't serve the story yeah it's like Fuck it. Like you're you're kind of not yeah. getting pushed aside, but I'm not gonna worry about um about fulfilling every little beat of story that's out there. I'm gonna put it all in in the um pursuit of serving the ultimate story. And as you say, Gail Vella was a setup for the for the show and actually there were no surprises and it was who they thought, but it en- enabled a a closer examination of of certain people within the OCG and within the police force. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, I've just received a text saying an urgent exit is required, so I do think that's probably the end for this Line of Duty Spoiler Special podcast. We do hope it's been cathartic for you. Uh, If you, like Jed Mercurio, believe in celebrating the triumph of mediocrity, then be sure to return for more from us in future. Uh, Not only will our Loki Spoiler Specials be starting alongside that show next week, but there's a lot more in the pipeline besides. Uh, The regular Empire podcast does, of course, go out every Friday to service all your movie needs, and you can reunite with Boyd, Terry, and myself on the Pilot TV podcast every Monday. All that's left is a big goodbye from Terry White. Bye! And a big goodbye from Boyd Hilton. Mother of God. Mother of God, and indeed. And the wee donkey. <laughs> and the wee donkey. <laughs> and the wee donkey. Oh, God. <laughs> and it is a goodbye from me. I'm off to carry the fire, carefully, with oven gloves. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>